0: Sometimes I get asked this question when it comes to the issue of healing, and that question is simply this, I'm sort of summarizing the many ways that it's said, but why don't we see more of God's healing power in the church, or why don't we see more of God's healing power through the body of Christ? And people answer that question in different ways. I mean, certainly there's always a know-it-all who's like, well, this is why, and this is why, and I would say there's probably lots of reasons But it's made me wonder, the more that I hear it, the more that I think through it, the more that I study God's word, the more I pray. It makes me wonder if we haven't lost something, as we reflect back on how Jesus healed and the apostles healed, and throughout church history there's healing, and maybe we hear about other places in the United States or the world where there's healing power being released. Maybe we haven't lost something, but I do think we've probably lost sight Of something in our world and as it pertains to the healing power of Jesus. Our church, Northwest Church, is a part of the Foursquare Movement, which was started in the 1920s out of the Pentecostal revivals that not only happened in America, but across the world. And that's how it just spread throughout the United States. And today we have 100,000 churches and it was born out of revival. And our church has a 44-year history of coming out of this movement. And as a people, we declare four things about Jesus. Jesus is a savior. He's a healer. Everybody say healer. Healer. He's a baptizer with the Holy Spirit and power, and he's the soon-incoming king. And so we declare that today, and we believe that God still heals today, that he never stopped doing what he used to do. He didn't park and say, you know, I'm going to Pick up on this some other day, and this is going to be a really dark time. And no, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it isn't that He stopped anything, sometimes it's that we've lost sight of the fullness of what He is and what He, he does. I was thinking about the first time as a believer that I saw supernatural healing for, for me in my life. We, um, me and a couple guys, after we got saved, radically saved. I was uh, 20 years old at this time. I was 19 when I became a Christian, but 20 when we started walking the streets of Capitol Hill. In fact, me and a buddy were just driving in Seattle, and we're asking the Lord what we should do. And we didn't hear the voice of God very well. We thought everything was God. You know, it's like, oh, did God tell me to do that? You know, you don't have discernment in your life at all. And so, but maybe that's okay, because he never rebuked anybody for having too much faith, I suppose. So we're driving down Capitol Hill, down the main... Avenue there. And the Lord just, we felt like, spoke to us and said, I want you to get out and just start talking to people about Jesus. And it was a mess. I mean, we're talking to people about what we know, which was not very much. I mean, I knew about, you know, maybe a, a 32nd of an inch of this book, and that's all I had, probably part of the Old Testament. And you need to know a little more than that. But anyways, we're talking to people about Jesus. He saved us. He set us free, and we're filled with so much joy. I'm walking down the avenue there in Capitol Hill, and I come upon this group of ladies sitting at a card table. Now, I didn't know what they were doing, but later I come to understand their um assembly or they're they're doing something with tarot cards, okay? So I'm not like into the occult. So I have no, it just looks weird to me. So, and I'm catching a vibe and that's the word I would have used back then. Catching something there and I stop and I begin to talk to them about Jesus. And a long story short, um, I fumble over all my words and they're kind of mocking me in a way. And one of the ladies stood up from the table and said, hey, I don't know about all that you're saying. We're not really interested in that, but uh, give me some money. Basically, she was really blunt with me give me some money and <laughs> like Peter and just silver and gold I do not have you know i mean i i really did not i was 20 and <laughs> broke as a you know uh and so she said, Just give me some money. I said, Well, I don't have money, but why do you need money? And she said, Well, I, I need to go buy some pain medication down the street here. I said, Well, what's wrong? She started talking about her back and how many problems she has. It hurts to sit, it hurts to stand. And so she has to take a large dose of pain medication to even get through the day and sleep and all this stuff. And I said, Well, I'm really sorry. I don't have money. I can't help you with that. But would you mind if I prayed for you? And she kind of snickered and said, Sure, I guess, whatever. And so can I put my hand on you? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. And so I had never prayed for supernatural healing before. I mean, I was barely 20, barely saved. So I put my hand on her shoulder. I closed my eyes because that's what I thought you did. I thought you had to close your eyes and pray. By the way, guys, I've learned you can keep your eyes open. <laughs> Nothing, you know, <laughs> sometimes you need to. It depends on where you live. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> keep your eyes open. Amen. So I close my eyes and I prayed just simply, Lord, I pray whatever's wrong that you would make it right. That's all I knew to pray. I still pray that prayer today. It hasn't changed. When I opened my eyes, I felt like the atmosphere shifted. Have you ever prayed and when you open your eyes or after you pray, it's like something happened and you don't have words to articulate what just happened. Something spiritual happened, but you couldn't see it. You felt it. It's kind of strange to say, I felt it, but that's What happened. And I remember that moment because it led me down this road of wanting to study what happens with healing. But here's the end of the story is that they went on. They were like, thank you. And did anything happen? No. They just walked away from the card table, which was strange. I go to the park in Capitol Hill. And not long after that, uh, her and a larger group of ladies are walking by in the park. And she points at me and goes, that's the guy that healed me right there. And what was, yeah, amen. But what was crazy, I wasn't the guy, by the way. We was, was a guy, you know, the, the guy. <laughs> it's more than a guy. Anyhow, I'm sharing the gospel with somebody as she's saying that. By the way, that's a really great testimony <laughs> when you're sharing the gospel and you're like, you're kind of like, did you, did you hear? This is real, like the real God. And so I I tried to lead her to the Lord. She, She didn't receive Christ. She got healed. I didn't just plant a seed. I planted a palm tree in her life by the power of God. So we thank the Lord for what He does. But that led me down a road of really wanting to understand healing because she told me that her back got healed and she's never felt like this before. And I told her she probably doesn't need the money for the pain medication, you know. And so... I've wanted to know, Lord, what is it? You know, it seems like some people get healed, some don't. Some people think it's all about like what you say or how you say it. They kind of perfect their words or they believe it's psychological certainty. Like doubting is never saying and never having a, a thought. And so you almost have to lie to people. Like <laughs> it, it just feels weird, this, this thing about healing. And so I, I've done a deep dive and uh, and and I want to share that with you today because I think What's a disservice to us when it comes to healing is we basically just tell people God heals. And the Bible says that. But we don't know doctrinally how the Bible teaches that. And I want to tell you, the Bible actually teaches that God still heals today. and He never stopped. And so there is what's called the the book, The Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. And you'll find much of what I'm going to share today right in there. People have believed this for years and years and years. So this isn't new, but I just want to bring it to you today. So I want to start with talking a little bit about a theology for uh, supernatural healing. And I want to do that first by saying this, we practice what we believe. Our, Our actions come out of our belief system. And what you and I may not realize is we have all been influenced and affected by secularism at a very high level secularism and humanism and naturalism. In other words, God doesn't do anything supernatural anymore. It's just about stewarding the natural. It's just about doing what you can do. And right here, right now, we might not think that, but you should read a book called Power Healing by John Wimber. On page nine, John Wimber says that secularism has so deeply influenced modern theology, and they attested to this by him him having an associate study all of the 27 books that first-year seminarians read when they're training for the ministry. So we're talking about all of the people that train to do what I do. They preach the gospel. They teach the Bible. They're the ones that stand up here and tell the rest of us what the Bible says. Now, you can, of course, study the Bible for yourself. Praise God. Protestant Reformation. I won't go. Amen. But the people that train for the ministry... When they go through seminary, they're reading these books. And so John Wimber's associates studied all 27 books for the first year seminarian, seminarians at a large influential graduate school. And they found out of over 10,000 pages that were reviewed, only 0.3% even referenced healing, signs, wonders, miracles, and spiritual gifts. And the majority of it was referenced in the negative And in case you're not sure, the majority of our commentaries today are written by cessationists that do not believe that God still does this type of stuff today. When you're reading it, you almost, if you're Pentecostal or charismatic, or you believe in the power of the spirit, you almost have to gloss over what is said because the overwhelming majority of our materials are already in that vein. And so this is what has happened to us for years and years and years and years. The body of Christ has been taught in churches in a sense, whether it's direct or indirect, God is not like this anymore. We are not that church and there are thousands, perhaps there are tens of thousands of churches all over the world that are contending for and believing for God's healing power. And you just need to know that we are already at a disadvantage because of the theology that is put forward today in the majority of our institutions. And so what do we do? Well, we go to the scriptures, and I want to share three points in this basic um, theology for supernatural healing. Number one is we need to know that sickness is a curse, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God created us in his image, and it says right here that it was very good. When God created us, there was no flaw, there was no sickness, there was no disease. He declared over human beings that he created that it is good. But then in Genesis chapter 2, as he's talking to Adam, he says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the middle of the garden. And the, if you eat from it, the day you do, You shall die. And then we turn over to Genesis chapter three and we find the devil who's called the serpent, seduces Eve, deceives her. She eats from the tree God said don't eat from. She gives it to her husband, Adam. He eats and then they go hide themselves because they realize something that they could not see before. And here's what it says about what happens after they ate in verse 17, Genesis three. Adam, he said, this is God." Speaking to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife in, in this deception, and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. That's the earth. Cursed is the earth because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. According to the theological word book of the Old Testament, the word here for curse, it means to bind or to hem in with obstacles, to render powerless, to resist. Another way of putting this is that the curse was put on the human race. We call this the fall. Every child that is born after the fall is born with a sin sickness. We have a propensity through the knowledge of good and evil, without this restraint that we could only have by walking with God, which we turned away from. We have this propensity towards evil. And he says, death will set in. Now, this is physical death. This is spiritual death. This is eternal death. Death set into the human race. This is why God said, don't do this. I do not want you to do this. He gave them a command of abstinence. We did not follow that. We walked away. And that's this separation that we have from God. And so sin didn't, didn't just set in, but the effects of sin is sickness. That's what sickness is. It's de- it decays our body. It brings us to a place of death. And that's where it comes from. Well, the second point is healing is a promise. Sickness may have been released through the fall, but healing is released through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to redeem us completely and to make all things new. And he did this by giving his life for ours. You might remember we studied Mark chapter 8. And Jesus said more than three times that are recorded in the Gospels. Here's what it says in verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Well, they didn't hear that rise again part. They just heard suffer be rejected, die, and they rejected this idea, but Jesus said, I need to do this. I have to have this happen, but the question that we should have is why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because human beings bear the penalty of sin without any way of redeeming ourselves. We have no way of paying back the debt that we owe in this thing we call sin, and so the death of Jesus was a sacrificial offering for humanity. We call this substitutionary atonement, his life in exchange for our life. Sometimes on Good Friday, we'll read this passage in Isaiah 53, and I'll read it to you today. But notice what is said, not just about forgiveness, but also about the physical body. Verse four, surely he took up our infirmities, which means sickness, and he carried our sorrows, Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And watch, by his wounds, all that he went through, we are healed. Everybody say are. are. We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a sacrificial offering for all humanity. Jesus stood in our place, and by his wounds, we are healed. We believe this healing is not just the forgiveness of our sins. That's what 1 Peter says. When 1 Peter references this passage, he's only talking about forgiveness. But did you know Matthew 8 17 references this passage, and it's talking about physical healing? Well, what's, which one's true? Both of them. It's that God has paid a price to redeem us from sin sickness. The effect of sin sickness is, is sickness itself, physical sickness. And this is why we declare as people that we are healed. And here's more proof of that. When Jesus came, he came first to inaugurate his kingdom, offer his life. And when we talk about his kingdom, we're talking about his rule and his reign over sin and the effects of sin, which is sickness, also the devil, and ultimately death itself through his resurrection. In the book of Matthew, it mentions nine times that everyone who came to Jesus were healed. Every single person that came to Jesus, they were healed. Look what it says in Matthew eight seventeen. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Look at, he took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases." Physical healing is what we find here. When it talks about healing in the Greek, it's the same word for the word cure. Jesus is the cure for our sin. Jesus is the cure for our sickness. So here's my disposition then. When you read the gospels and you read the Bible and you read the book of Acts, what you find is it is devoted to a God that again and again and again heals people everywhere that he goes. You just can't read this book and come to another conclusion. And that's why theologians will say, well, yeah, he did it, but he doesn't still do it. See, that's the only theology they can come up with, but we believe that he did it and he still does it. And so our disposition is that he Is a healer. It is what he does because it is who he is. Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. When he speaks to us, he speaks life. It stretches out in our soul and we become what he intended. Jesus paid a price for us. So healing, friends, is a promise. We also need to understand this. Number three is healing is our ministry healing is our ministry. We see that it was Jesus's ministry, but did you know it was also the disciples' ministry? They went about healing as well. Look in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus calls his 12 disciples for the first time, and he gave them authority and power to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So now it's not Jesus. It's the 12, and we learn later that it's the 72. And so now you've got more people with power and authority doing what Jesus did. He gave them this power to cast out demons, to preach the kingdom, and to heal. Now, what's happened here, though, is that Jesus gives his great commission. He died, and then he rose again. And before he ascended to the Father, he gave his disciples what we call the great commission. And I want to read that to you in a new light today. Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. That, that word right there, therefore go, he is saying, I'm now giving it to you. That, that's what he's saying. He said, now you go, I have this I'm the author and I'm authorizing you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And look at this, teach them to obey everything that I commanded you and watch, I am surely with you always to the very end. Now, is he with us in a different way or is he with us in the same way? Look what he says, teach them to obey all things. If you were a disciple that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, would you have also included teach people all things, heal the sick? Would you have also included that you should cast out demons? This is what they thought. They didn't think all the, just the nice stuff like wash feet and love each other. All of that is true, and we teach that. You know what? We teach it based on a natural level. We kind of help people to do what they can do, you know? Here's the stuff that Jesus wanted us to do. He wanted us to love each other, you know, sacrificially give toward one another, but we stop short in teaching that Jesus also included in the Great Commission, cast out demons because evil does not belong Heal the sick because I came and inaugurated my kingdom. We don't pass this on in the Great Commission. It slowly and subtly has come out of the ministry of Jesus. And what is passed on is just preach the gospel and wash feet, do good works and preach good news. And we have omitted the power of God. And so when people ask me, why is there not more power from the Holy Spirit in the church? Part of it is what we believe today and what we're being told or maybe we could say it this way, what we're not being told. Friends, I don't need a show of hands, but, and I'm not saying our church is better. That's not what I mean. There are a lot of churches that are contending for and believing for. What I'm saying is many of us have been subjected to teaching that never even offered this view that I'm sharing with you today, and yet it's all over the Bible. See, I'm getting, I'm just, Ah. <laughs> easy to, oh, that's your opinion. How many verses do you want to read today? You see, I gave you 50 already. And this is what has happened to you. Did you know you've been subject to these views and these opinions of naturalism? We have been told directly or indirectly, God no longer does this today. And so guess how that affects us? When we go to pray for people, instead of praying for healing, we go, well, Lord, whatever you want to do. As if we don't know what Jesus did. Well, Lord, anything that's in your heart to do or anything you can do, or I don't, we kind of subject ourselves to this, this perspective and we don't even realize that it's happened. We don't even realize that it's, that it's happened. And, uh, and so look what happens here. After Jesus is risen from the dead, he's moments away perhaps from his ascension. He had at a few occasions given his disciples power and authority. So they had tasted that, they had walked in that. They knew what that was, so when he gave them a great commission, I believe that that was inclusive of that, but right before he ascends, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this, they met together, the disciples, and they were with Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, hey, it's not for you to know the times or dates. They kept asking. Everybody wants to know the end times, isn't that right? Just get saved right before the last minute. I don't know if that's a funny joke anymore, but... It used to be. All right, anyway, so what time are you coming back so we can set our watch? And he said, it's not for you to know the dates that the Father is set by his own authority, but watch, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You shall receive power. Well, what did they think that meant? Do you think they meant Do you think they thought it meant the same thing that we read about in Matthew chapter 10? They had already received power. So they knew what Jesus was talking, you shall receive power to be my witnesses, not just to witness, to share the gospel, but it is what you are. You shall receive power to be a witness. You are a living witness of Jesus. If you're a believer, the spirit of God lives in you. And listen, friends, he wants to flow through you. That's why as Christians, we're always uncomfortable if we don't have some expression of Christ out of our life because the Holy Spirit is like a river. He wants to flow. And that expression is gonna look differently through all of us. It should not look the same. In fact, it never will. But this power, this dunamis power, it means power to do the miraculous. And I would tell you this, we cannot be witnesses of Jesus without the power that Jesus lived by. And this is why we contend for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's connected to the healing ministry of Christ. And so we look at this today, but that may not be all we should look at. A lot of us have prayed, believed, stood in what I'm talking about. Ben, I believe that sickness is a a curse, healing is a promise, and the church carries on and continues the healing ministry of Jesus. I believe all that, but I've prayed a lot and people have still been sick. I have prayed for people on their dying, on their deathbed, and they, they still died and went to be with Jesus. And I've had to acclimate to that. So we have a lot of questions. And from those questions, we usually develop a lot of Theology, And I, I don't think it's wise to avoid the questions. I, some people do that in the charismatic church, and I think that is unfortunate. In fact, one of the charismatic favorite teachers today who, you know, I like just fine. I don't, I've, I've never been to Bethel. But Bill Johnson, I heard him say one time, he said, you know, I don't develop a theology about sickness. Um, and, and, I, and I understand what he was trying to say. I heard this talk that he did but I felt that it was a disservice and and this might be a slight against them. I don't mean it that way, but I felt like it was a disservice to not actually have the conversation though. As a pastor for 20 years, I can tell you that in my office, this is what we talk about. So there's no reason we shouldn't talk about it here. I just don't see why we shouldn't. When I do funerals, memorial services, I walk people through suffering. You and I go through that together in our families. What do we do with all of these questions that we have? Well, let me try to answer them definitively, authoritatively, and specifically today. (laughs) You're supposed to laugh, you know. Amen. Question number one, why doesn't everyone get healed? I'm going to give you a real good theological answer. I don't fully know. And I'm skeptical when people stand up and act like they always do. In fact, I'm very skeptical when people always act like they have the answer to that. I just do. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. Hey, friends, there are some things God knows you won't know. So there are things we can know and that we need to major on. There are scriptures that indicate reasons why some people don't get healed. That's true. Sometimes it references unbelief or ignorance, demonic power, these can be some of the reasons, there are others. There are at least four occurrences in the New Testament where healing did not happen even after prayer. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 27, 1 Timothy 5:23, 2 Timothy 4:20 and Galatians 4:13. That's where Paul was actually ill. And he didn't even ask for prayer. He didn't even say pray for me to be healed. He didn't say I'm contending for healing. He didn't say any of that. Somehow in his relationship with God, he was just continuing on the ministry. And we don't know exactly what he thought about that. He just mentions that he's sick. So, what do we do with, with all of this? Well, we do what we know to do. The Bible says that we pray for those who are sick, whether that's us or our family. We just are called to pray. So, what we're not seeing and what hasn't happened does not have the right and the authority to stop us from what we know to do, which is to pray. So, point number two do I, and I got to name it, thank you. Do I have enough faith to be healed? Now this comes up quite a bit because there has been a whole movement only around the issue of faith. So it's only about faith. And I want to say it's not only about faith. Faith is very important. And so because there's been a lot of teaching only about this, people will ask this question. Do I have enough faith? Like there's somehow you can kind of power up from 60% to 80%. (laughs) How do I bump that to 95%? That's sort of the idea, right? It's like, is it, it my faith good enough? So quality, is it good enough? Like, is it, is it uh, 60% polyester or is it 90%? You know, like, is it good? Is it all silk or what? I mean, it, is, it, is it good enough or do I have enough? Friends, I would say sometimes we 're asking the wrong question. We see all kinds of faith in the Bible, and I want to show you what I think we see at different places in scripture you 'll find it here on the screen. The first is Mark chapter nine and verse seventeen. I call this weak faith. This is what I call. It. This is where the Father brings his son. To Jesus, and he finds the disciples. They couldn't do anything about what has happened. And so then he finally comes before Jesus, and he's discouraged. He's depleted. And he basically says to him, if you can do anything, just go ahead and do it. And Jesus is like, if I can do what? You know, <laughs> if I can do anything? <laughs> I don't know how he said it. I wasn't there. But uh, if, I, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, well, I, oh, I can. And he, and he heals him. I call that weak faith. But you know what's cool about weak faith? Jesus still answered. The next one, I don't have a better theological term for. I'm just calling it some faith, you know, just a little bit more than weak. Mark chapter one, verse 40, a leprous man uh, is in front of Jesus and he says to him, if you're willing. See, I don't question if you're able. I know you have the power, but I'm a leprous man and I think you might overlook me. So if you're willing, you're able, but I don't know if you're willing I don't know if you see me. I don't know if you're going to address this issue. So if you're willing, and Jesus says, if I am willing, be healed. The third one is the one we preach all the time. We bypass those because those don't preach well, but we use great faith. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, this is the woman with the issue of blood. For years and years, she has this issue, and she says in her mind, if I just touch the hem of his robe, then I know I'll be healed. I don't need him to lay hands on me. I don't need him to speak to me. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, that's it. And she has this crazy faith, this great faith. And she, of course, is healed. Look at this weak faith, some faith, great faith. The common denominator is Jesus, and he actually ministered to all three, and the same result happened. This is why, when Jesus teaches the mustard seed of faith, I want to teach you something about faith. Faith is not psychological certainty. Faith isn't the person sitting next to you that keeps saying the thing that you don't say. And we think of it as just confession. If you just confess the right thing, don't worry about what's in your heart, don't deal with anything, any real questions that you have. Just You just need psychological certainty. Just confess it, say it, and stand in it, and never confess or never even talk about the reality of what's going on in there. I would actually differ with that. I would say when you deal with the things that are going on in here, it causes you to be able to step over the threshold of doubt. Sometimes you have to acknowledge the reality of your inner world so that you can latch on to God's truth, This is why you hear things in the Bible like, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus did not put those people down. Friends, they were just talking about where they were. And so we kind of have this idea based on some teaching that I don't agree with, where it's almost like you just have to say it this way and appear this way. And how many of you know that is not always how it works? So what does faith look like? Faith looks like people standing in a place of asking God, even when it's never happened. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like somebody worshiping God, even though this pending prayer has been there for 10 years. Faith looks like somebody taking a step, even though they've already taken a hundred steps. Friends, that is what faith looks like. So this is what we see. And I think sometimes we get confused about that. Do I have enough faith? You're standing here asking the question. Yes, the fact that you're here means that you have faith. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for perfect faith. You'll only find that in Jesus. Number three, if God is good, then why didn't he heal me? Now, this is embedded in a larger theological question, of course, and I would just say it to you this way. Sometimes when we pray for healing and God doesn't heal us, we tend to have tunnel vision and we don't think about all the other things that God has done. Like he saved me. He touched me. He provided for me. And so it's like, God didn't heal me. You say he's good. And if he's good, then he would have healed me. But it's like, we start forgetting that he did so many other things for us and he's given us eternal life. And unfortunately... We stop praising and worshiping and thanking God for all that he has done because we have tunnel vision on this one thing. And the goodness of God is in contempt because of our pending healing rather than all of the wonderful things and the most important thing that he has done for us in Christ already. Is God good? All the time. And all the time. We'll go old school today, that's fine, amen. Number four comes right out of that question: If God is good, then why does He allow things, these types of things, to happen, like sickness? Well, the, the real question is: Why do bad things happen to not just good people, but any people, at, at all? And, and here's the answer: and, and you can't say this to a person that's suffering. I mean, it does because it doesn't. It doesn't feel good. The fact is, this is that we walked away from God, and He told us not to. When God said to Adam and Eve, "If you eat from this tree, you'll die." Imagine the father saying, please don't do this. Don't do this because I know what's going to happen. God saw what was going to happen and he told us not to do it. We did it anyways. And that unleashed this spider web of effects that, that hinders us all and affects us all and leaves us to this place that we are today. And so then what we do in our disobedience and in our sin sickness is we blame God. We blame God. And we hold his goodness in contempt rather than saying, thank you for sending Jesus. That's why Jesus came, because we made a mess of the world. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and make all things right. Amen. That's the point. That's the point. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And we're going to bring that hymn back. All right. Does God give sickness to some people and bring about, to bring about his purposes in their life? Uh, my answer is absolutely not. That, 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 is, that is not, I mean, if you're, some have this perspective in Reformed camps, Calvinistic, deterministic viewpoints, um, it's not that I don't think God can use difficult things in our life to, to help us understand things. The Bible says that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But it does not say God authored all those things. It says he uses all things. There's a huge difference between the two. And whenever a person brings out these Old Testament passages to me and says, well, look, God judged Pharaoh. And I'm like, my grandmother who had cancer more than half of her life is not a comparable biblical example to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. I mean, this is how terrible our theology is. It's like we take God judging a leader who oppressed his people and he judged them or we take God bringing a judgment to Israel where they had a specific purpose to carry the messianic line so that Jesus would come at a specific time in history. Yes, he had to judge them. Yes, he had to work with them ever so specifically because God's purpose needed to be fulfilled. So that's why we see a lot of stringent things in the Old Testament. It's not that God doesn't care today, but you have to understand God is guiding this coming forth of the Messiah. So there were judgments that were released in the Old Testament. And every now and again, a person will bring those out as examples of sickness today. And I think that is just illegal biblically. I'm like, this is a bad parallel. This is a bad example. And every time a person brings one of those to me, I go, friend, that is just terrible theology. God does not give sickness. And if you've heard some of that teaching, I challenge you to study the scriptures and not just what it says, but the context that you're reading. Why did God do that? Who did he do it to? What happened? What was the purpose of that? And does it actually relate and apply to the scenarios that we're dealing with today? And I can tell you, I read through all of them this week, at least all the ones that I could find, and it was a pretty simple no. I mean, it was a pretty simple no. And if you need that because you've been influenced by that theology, I encourage you um, to go back through the scriptures. Um, Jandy and the team are gonna come and uh, we're gonna move towards a place of prayer. But I wanted to close uh, by not just reading James chapter five, but I wanna share with you a thought. Uh, now, here's the, here's the reality. I, I know this because I, uh, this isn't my first time around the mountain, you know, so, um, and I've got a lot more ahead of me, but I know that when you bring up healing, it can trigger a lot. I just know that. And I'm not here to minister to just the excited, <laughs> right? I'm not here to just minister to the people that believe just like I do, we're all in different places when it comes to this, and I, I recognize that, I understand that. Don't let me lose you right now, guys. They're up there, they're setting up. Just <laughs> Come on, I'm gonna look straight at your face. I'm looking at you guys, remember that. I see your eyeballs. Just pulling it back together. Um, but, I, but I wanna say some things to you to help you think about this, maybe from a perspective that isn't normative. Maybe it's been a while since you thought about it. Sometimes the reason that we don't see more of the power of God is because we have environments that are more like Mark chapter 6 um, than they are like when Jesus was at Capernaum or walking around the Sea of Galilee. In Mark chapter 6, the Bible says that Jesus came to Nazareth and specifically, he could not do any miracles there. I just want you to let that settle on you for a minute. Jesus Christ went to his hometown. And he could not. I, I don't, when you read this, the Greek on that, I don't believe it means he could not. I actually believe it means he would not. Jesus does not come where he's not wanted. And what happens is we become so sophisticated, and, and I appreciate modern medicine. I honor medical professionals. I believe we're called to steward the natural. But there's this element of contending for the supernatural that I think a lot of the Western world has lost. And so we end up in this place where we don't need God until we need God. And I think that's a disservice to us. I think we're called to lean on and depend on God just like somebody that's crippled leans on a crutch. People can shame us for that and say, well, Christianity is a crutch. And I would say it is, and it is for you. You just don't know how crippled you really are. Some of us have discovered that. But there are environments And maybe so many, and and it could be that we have this this kind of this skeptical unbelief that fills our hearts because of what we haven't seen. And I would tell you that we need to contend to move away from this sort of Nazareth environment where Jesus could not do many miracles there. I, I want us to be a place where anything that God wants to do that can happen. I want our homes to be that place where Jesus is our primary care physician. I like saying that. It just resonates with me, you know. Oranges do not grow in my backyard. They grow in Florida because there's an ecosystem there, a temperature, a climate that causes certain fruit to grow. And I think the ingredients of healing and deliverance and salvation, there's something that has to be true about a spiritual community in that environment for things to be, to happen God is available. God is moving. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But sometimes we just suck all that out of the environment. We just do. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't have questions. It doesn't mean that you won't won't have some unanswered prayers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we contribute as a community of faith to what God is doing together, which means we have to be a people of prayer. And that's what I want to read to you. James chapter five. I was reading this. I was reading scriptures like ask, seek, and knock, and how simple it is and how easy it is not to do that. And I don't want to show a hands, but let me just ask you like, how often do we pray? What does that look like in in, in our life? And this isn't to shame or guilt, you, but just let's just ask the actual question without worrying about shame and guilt for a second. Are we that people of prayer? Are we becoming more passionate in prayer? Are we pressing more into God? Are we asking more of him as it pertains to these things in, in our life? I love what James says in chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? He should pray. I, I just, isn't that simple? Just awesome. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you believe that? I just believe that. Why doesn't everything happen when I pray? I don't know. It just says to pray. It just says pray. And so I feel where a lot of us are at. I pray for a lot of people. I, I walk with many of you and the suffering that we have, but let's pray. Let's, let's just be a people of prayer. No matter what, ups and downs, let's pray. Let's be a people of prayer. And that's what we're going to do. Would you stand? Here's what I'm going to ask uh, us to do today. Jandy and our team is going to lead us in worship. Our service, I, I, we have, um, did you know we have 15 minutes left? I mean, if you have to go early, i You already said you would stay 90 minutes, so. (laughs) We're going to have a time of worship. We're going to have a time of prayer. Pastors and prayer partners would come forward to pray. This is what we're going to do. We're going to practice the Bible today. It's a weekend of healing. We're asking God to do what only he can. So if you're sick in your body, we're going to do what this says. And here's what I would also say. If you're experiencing something, anything else, it doesn't just have to be something that we would all classify as a sickness. If you have a burden in your soul, if you're being plagued with tormenting thoughts, if you haven't been able to break an addiction, we're not asking you to come up and confess in front of the whole church. What we're saying is today, we're gonna pray over all of those things. And so as we go towards worship, I'm asking you just to come forward And we're going to pray. Our prayer team is going to pray just for 30 seconds. We're not going to prophesy. We're not going to pray over all the other things. We're just asking you to say the thing that you want prayer for. We're going to anoint you in the name of the Lord with oil. And then we're going to pray for 30 seconds over that thing. And God can use that to bring healing. For the rest of us, let's worship. Let's intercede. Would you also join us in prayer as you're worshiping and just ask God to do what, what, what only he can do? And the last thing before we go to this place is that there are connect cards in the back of every chair. Last night, what we did and we felt led to do this was, would you also fill out a prayer card on the back and put the name of someone that you're praying for? Healing, freedom, salvation. And we're going to put those cards before you leave the service today. We're going to put those cards on the altar. And we're going to pray over them as well before we close the service. I'm going to come back up in 13 minutes. I'm going to close the service, but we're going to keep praying after that for as long as it takes. Will you join us? Let's pray and we'll move towards this time. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you are the great physician. You're a healer. And so we invite your power and your presence in this place and in this time. God, I pray that you would, as we lay hands on, we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As we lay hands on our brothers and sisters today, we ask that you would make whatever's wrong, that you would make it right. Because you can, and you are willing and able. So we put all of this into your hands. We trust you, we believe you, we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship. If you want prayer, please come forward. Thanks for listening.